Amen. Are you expecting something amazing to happen today? Hallelujah. Uh, last Thursday, Pastor Winona and I, uh, a week and a half ago, received some uh, reports. And uh, the report was from the, from the doctor, and it had the word cancer connected with it. And so we had taken that report, and we had contacted some of our pastoral friends, some of our closest friends. We'd sent notes out to them, asked them for prayer, and then we sent out a general note. And Friday evening, I got a text message from a pastor in Columbus, Ohio, and it was just two or three lines, and it says, we're praying for you. I'll come up there if you want me to. Uh, God's got this. And I don't usually get, I, I get text messages, but I don't usually get a pastor that says, I'll come up there if you want me to. And then later that evening, we got a call from David Jonas, and uh, he had sent us a message about six to eight weeks ago that God had stirred him up, and he said, what's going on? And Pastor Winona and I looked at each other and said, everything's good. And in that same time frame, we had three other people, a couple of them from our church and one other person outside the church that had sent us a message asking us how we were doing. And for us, we thought we were doing good. We were doing good. We are doing good. And we will continue doing good. But God had revealed something to him in his prayer time. He woke him up. I, I thank God that's, that he doesn't just wake me up in the middle of the night, but he wakes other people up in the middle of the night. And so he had called us Friday evening as well, and he said, listen, um, I've got a team. We'll come up. This is not right. And uh, this is not right. And so the next day, Saturday, I sent a note to, to this pastor, and I said, um, can I take you up on that offer? Yes. Uh, he called me. He said, I'll take care of the airfare. I got one amen. I'll take care of the airfare. He said, we're friends. We're in this together. When you're a friend, money is not the issue. When you're a friend, you say, you know what? I'm here for you, and we're going to do things together, and we're going to see victory together. And so we started to chat, and um, he says, don't worry about it. I'm coming. And uh, so I want to introduce you this morning. He was here about four years ago with his wife, but Pastor Jim Baker from Columbus, Ohio. <laughs> Bless your brother. I'm not going to take up any more time. Go for it. Well, thank you. It is, uh, it's good to be back here. And uh, I'm just really hoping that the language barrier is not going to be a problem with me being from America and everything. So... America, yeah. So, uh, yeah, I've, I've been catching up on episodes of Heartland. Is that a big show here, Heartland? Like, what is going on with Ty and Amy? Like, are they getting married or what? I'm a season behind here. They're married. Thank goodness. Thank goodness. So, all right. Oh, they're having a baby. Wow. Well, I'm good now. All right. Let's close in prayer here. So, no, this is going to be good. This will be a good day here. And so, um, man, just glad to be back. Yeah, it was about four and a half years ago, and we just fell in love with your pastors and the staff here and... You know, boy, God's been busy in Ohio. I don't know. It's, we're still having fun down there. 
and now we're still going after healing. We've actually had uh, four dead raisings in the last seven months. Can you guys believe that? Is that crazy? Yeah, thank you, Jesus. One on Tuesday, so that's a fresh one. So, uh, yeah, the, the funny thing is I'm 0 for 12. I pray for 12 dead bodies. They got colder, so I'm like, I don't know what's happening with our people. I always tease them that during impartation time, I gave away too much. I'm like, I don't know what happened. But, but yeah, we just had a leukemia healing. Uh, we just had someone heal a bladder cancer, and um, just, just lots of wonderful things happen. I think we've had 11 or 13 atheists converted in the last two months. Is that crazy? So... They're getting uh, converted through encounters, not through arguments, so, which sounds like a good idea. So let's just go through it. Let's just go for it here. You guys ready? I'm going to start it. When I teach in healing, I usually start like this. And so if you were here four and a half years ago, you probably don't remember anything I said. So uh, for those of you who are new, this is why I love new people. They've never heard my teaching before. So this is good. So uh, let's just start with uh, this question here. What do you feel is your biggest hindrance to seeing more people healed, whether it's yourself or other people? I want you to just think about that for a second. When I were to stick a microphone in your mouth and say, or by your mouth, I wouldn't be that mean. Um, what, uh, what do you feel is your biggest hindrance to seeing other people healed? Why don't you go ahead and just turn to your neighbor and just uh, take 20 seconds and just what do you think that is? You guys know that whenever a pastor like asks one of these questions, it's always like a trick question, right? Uh, I don't know. Like our church, they're so gun shy. Ask any question, they're like like abused puppies. They're like, oh no, we're gonna about to be tricked here. Well, let me just tell you the truth behind it. Your biggest hindrance to healing is that you believe there's a hindrance to healing. The Bible calls that a doubt. A doubt means to disqualify oneself from the promise. In other words, you know, that say, yeah, I see it in the Bible. That's true for some people. It just doesn't work for me. And so what the enemy does is he tries to sow doubts into your, into your heart. And so the enemy, the Bible says this. It's real clear. If you will just believe and not doubt, it only takes a mustard seed-sized faith. So I'm not sure what you think a mustard seed looks like. You think it's like a giant boulder, like, oh, I got this giant. No, it's just actually about the size of a poppy seed. What's the point is if you have no doubt, it takes very little I mean, Jesus was healing people that had such great theology as this. If it be your will, that doesn't sound like mighty faith to me. <laughs> Jesus is looking for excuses to heal people, not looking for excuses to disqualify people. Oh, oh I got some really good news for you. you. Ready for this? There's only one type of person that Jesus heals. Are you ready for this? People who don't deserve it. That's the only people he heals. The people who tried to deserve it, that's called self-righteousness, and you disqualify yourself from the promise. It's dead works. So if you are here trying to give God a reason to answer, that's self-righteousness, dead works, and it says you are cut off from grace. Or you can go with the sun-righteousness plan. He paid, for, he paid for it all. And I'm simply looking at what he's done. Faith rises in my heart. I say thank you, and I receive you guys get that? This is like such good news. By the way, that's not just for healing. It's for, it's for every area of the Christian life. Jesus paid for it. We, we're all, we're just such mooches. Um, you guys have mooches here and, and uh, like parasites. I mean, we're just, we're just living off of his life. Oh, it's just good news. So let's start with this confession. Healing is not my idea. Healing is God's idea. I'm not trying to convince him. He's trying to convince me. Let's close in prayer. Thank you, Jesus.
I'm like, I'm telling you everything you need to know. I've already said it, but because I'm a preacher, I'm going to keep saying it a million different ways, all right? <laughs> Let's just say it again. Healing is not my idea. Healing is God's idea. I'm not trying to convince him. He's trying to convince me. Here's a question I kind of woke up with in my heart. What if you received Jesus as your healer the same way you received him as Savior? He paid for it in the same package. He bore your sickness, carried your pain. By your stripes, you were healed. It's healing. Here's what salvation is. Saved, healed, delivered, prospered, and protected. It's all, that, was, that was actually just the old covenant package. You got all that under the old covenant. You know, the new covenant takes everything that was good in the old covenant and builds on top of it. It doesn't erase it. It amplifies it. Okay? It gives you easier access to it. Here's how you got saved. Um, you recognize there was nothing you could do, and you heard this good news, and you're like, wow, I'm going to believe him as my Savior. And then you receive salvation, and your life begin to change. Okay? Here's what happens. Here's what Christians do with healing is they um, wait to feel better and then they'll believe he's healer. Bible says believe and then receive. We try to receive first. Well, I'm not feeling any better. It must not be working. Imagine if you did with that salvation. Well, my life isn't changed. When my life begins to change, then I will believe he's my savior. No, 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 no. You believe, then you receive, then the life change happens. It's up to God how those symptoms and all that stuff works out. You believe him as healer. I'm not talking about fake it till you make it. Those are just lying symptoms. No, they're genuine symptoms, and when you're healed, they'll go away. I'm not, I'm not talking about playing games in your mind. I'm talking about looking into, looking into that invisible realm and saying, yeah, it's done. It's done. You understand, you don't have to do anything more to add to it. And when you try to add to it, you disqualify yourself. Because only unqualified people, undeserving people, get it. I want you to think about it in the Old Testament. And what, what a bloodbath. That is, that is a messy, but I don't think I'd have done good in the Old Testament. I, 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 I don't like that. And so like those priests, it's like a butcher shop. Slice, chop, burn. Slice, chop, burn. Oh, the people are sinning again. Slice, chop, burn. Oh, here comes the Smith family. Slice, slice, chop, chop, burn, burn. My apologies to any Smiths in here. What's it say? It says that the priests stood ministering daily. They never got a break because the people wouldn't stop sitting. Slice, isn't that what it says? The priest stood ministering daily because it was never enough. It was never enough. It was never enough. And then what does it say? It says, Jesus came, our great high priest came. And what's it say? It says he sat down. Why? Nothing else needed to be done to reverse every effect of sin on planet Earth. Guys, he's done. He's not up there on a case-by-case basis deciding whether or not you're worthy to be healed. He sent a blanket of a big fat yes and amen over a bunch of unworthy people who don't deserve it and said, I'm done. He's waiting on you now to say, yes, thank you. Your only thing is to look into the cross and say, yes, thank you, and then you receive. Can you imagine a preacher saying, "Um, I'm about to give a salvation call, but I'm sensing the Lord is saying, your sin is doing you some good right now. It's teaching you a lesson, and he's not done with it yet. And so maybe when the blood moon and the Shemitah happens on the 7th, 
at this future time, then the Lord will pour out a salvation anointing. No, but we do this crazy stuff with healing. Maybe it's not the Lord's time. The sickness is working in you to make you more like Jesus. Sickness can't make you more like Jesus. Jesus wasn't sick. Hashtag duh. Duh is Greek for duh. No, no. All right. The spirit of feistiness is trying to come on me. I'm trying to, I'm trying to fight it, but it, I think it's winning. If you're waiting for your symptoms to disappear before you believe that Christ is your healer, you have it backwards and it will not work. Okay, I'll say it again, okay? Since nobody asked. If you're waiting for symptoms to disappear before you believe that Christ is your healer, then you have it backwards and it will not work. You must believe that Christ is your healer before healing occurs. I'm not talking about believing that you're he- I'm Jesus, you're my healer. Lord, I just thank you that it's for me too. There's a lot of people in church that feel like they're the special exception. Yeah, I've been prayed for by Benny Hinn and Bill Johnson and this and that. And you know, I've listened to the best and it just isn't working for me. And um, you just told me what the problem is. I did this and I did this and I did this. Faith doesn't talk about what you did. Entitlement talks about what you did. I don't know what's going on. I fasted. I prayed. I'm on the Elijah list, prayer list. Well, you just told me what's wrong. Faith talks about what Jesus did. Faith is fascinated with Jesus, and it doesn't take our eyes off of Jesus. Here's New Testament faith. Fixing your eyes on Jesus, the author and finisher of faith. There's a gift of faith, but all faith is a gift. You cannot work up faith. Have you ever tried to have faith? (laughs) That's a long day. (laughs) It's like Goku trying to go Super Saiyan. Okay, you don't have Dragon Ball Z here in Canada? My goodness. That was an amazing reference. Man. I got kids, all right? Leave me alone. Keep your eyes on Christ and his completed work for you. Quit being concerned about the manifestation of healing. How the manifestation comes is God's business, not your business. I'm not talking about living in denial. Yeah, actually I am. I'm denying these symptoms the right to rule over my heart. I don't care what you see, taste, hear, smell, or feel. If it's in his word, it will be in your life. You will reap if you faint not. I believe in instant healings. Uh, Sometimes we see progressive ones. I hate progressive ones, but we'll take it. (laughs) The ten lepers, when were they healed? Instantly? It said, as they went, they were healed. It says that servant was healed that very hour. So let's not create some theology that it's weeks and months and somehow God does this. It was minutes and hours. Why? I don't know, but that was the exception. Most of them were instantaneous. But I'm telling you, quit focusing on that and focus on him. That's called faith. You know what focusing on you is called? Not faith. Because faith looks at Jesus. Faith is like an eyeball. An eyeball looks out. If I somehow took out my eyeball and turned it in, it's no longer functioning as an eyeball. Because eyeballs look out. If faith, faith looks at Jesus. If faith begins to say, do I have enough faith? 
Do I have enough anointing? Are my hands on fire? Have I ever heard a testimony of this being healed before? I have people, you know, because there's power in the testimony. It's how people text me all the time. Have you ever heard a testimony of this being healed? And I'll put, yes, Jesus healed them all. Be encouraged by testimonies, but don't be limited if you haven't heard one. Page three of 19. I'm not kidding. But see, this is why we have the Holy Spirit, is he can just go right through this stuff, all right? So it's interesting. I did, I, I did an illustration. I've, I've stole it from somebody, but I did it at Zion. It was funny. I was like, um, I meant to bring a $20 bill, but I, I hardly ever carry cash because I'll waste it on donuts. <clears throat> and so um, I can't wait till heaven. It's going to be like the donuts are like full of protein. It's going to be amazing. <laughs> it's like, Yes. And uh, so I had to borrow it from our associate pastor. It's humiliating, especially since I didn't give it back to him. And so what I did, I, I held up a $20 bill. I said, who wants this $20 bill? A bunch of hands would go up. I'm like, yeah, man, I want to give you this $20 bill. Who wants this $20 bill? Everyone just stood in their seats. There was one young, tall, skinny young man who, uh, on the front row. It was my middle son, Wesley. We did not plan this. It was funny that the son recognized the father's will and acted on it while everyone else sat there. So he, he gets up, walks up, grabs it out of my hand puts it in his pocket, sits down. You know what that's called? Faith. Faith sees what the Father wants to do and acts on it. There was a bunch of people who believed he, it could be my will. Yeah, I want that, but I'm not willing. You see the difference. I believe God can do it. I believe he will do it for someone else. If, if you're waiting for God to, hey, if it's God's will for me to be healed, I'll be healed. That's not how it works. I'm going to ask you another trick question. Okay? Who's in control of healing, you or God? Do not answer. Do not answer. If you said God, you're wrong. Most people in the West believe that God is in control of the healing. He's not in control of healing. You're in control of the healing. It's, there was lots of blind people in the New Testament. But there was only a few that shouted out, Son of David, have mercy on me. They were the ones who were in control of that healing because God already said yes. There's a, there's a leper, Matthew chapter 8. He comes to Jesus and says, if it be your will. What does Jesus say? Of course it's my will. Be healed. There was lots of lepers, leper colonies all over Israel, but there was only one. What, did I say something wrong? Did I say leopard? See, it says language barrier. This is what I was afraid of. Eh? So, I should have been watching the McKinsey Brothers Strange Brew movie to catch up on my Canadian, so. Oh my gosh, don't get me going on that. That movie is brilliant. There's plenty of lepers all over Israel, but there was only one who stood before Jesus and said, if, you, if you're willing, make me heal. You see what I'm saying? I want you to know, like in these, in these different scenes of Jesus healing people, he's never praying, Father, if it be your will. He already knew what the Father's will was. I never ask God what his will is for somebody when I'm standing before them for healing because he already told me what it is. By his stripes, he was healed. You guys really realize Jesus healed every person who came to him without exception? Amen. Well, hold on, Jim. What about that one time? Not in the Bible. Everyone who came to him, there was some people who Jesus is teaching, he's rocking and rolling, signs and wonders are happening. They're like, is this the carpenter's son? Isn't this, isn't this Jesus down the street and him and his dad, the carpenter? Well, what's going on here? He says they were offended at him. 
and they began to walk away from him. What happened? They didn't come to him expecting a help, and they didn't get healed. Except he says he laid his hands on a few sick people. Everyone who came to him, he never laid his hands on them like, oh, it's not God's timing. I'm sorry. I want to, but I can only do what I see him doing. Oh, you're right in the middle of an important lesson. Oh, we need to break those generational curses off of you. Mm, that's actually nowhere in Genesis or Revelation. You should at least throw out a couple books based on that one. Here's what I do believe about, here's what I do believe based on, about generational curses. I think some people, the way they use it, it's probably modern terminology, but it's not biblical language. And so some people, let's just, just cut them a break. Some people, the way, uh, like, like um, Donna De Silva from Bethel and Sozo, when she's talking about a generational curse, she's actually talking about a familiar spirit or a tra- traumatic event. She's talking about the um, uh, Vietnam veterans, how they all have a, a, a generational curse over them. They, ha- they actually have trauma. Okay, and so, so I, you know, I understand what I'm saying. I'm not trying to down everybody, but you get, pair through the definition because if you believe that because your grandfather was a Mason that you've got extra curses coming on you, that's a bunch of garbage. Okay, here's what happened is there was the old you, and that guy got buried with Christ through baptism. Dead, died, dead. Burn the body. Gather the ashes together. Burn the ashes. That thing is gone. But there was a new you who was put into the line of Christ, and his line has got no curses in it. Okay? Oh, hold on, Jim. Didn't it say that uh, God curses to the third and fourth generation? No, it's not what it says. It says he curses the third and fourth generation of those who hate him. Those who partook in the sin partook in the punishment in the Old Testament. Not even in the Old Testament do they have Old Covenant curses. In Ezekiel uh, chapter 18, verses 18 through 20, it says there's a proverb being said in Israel, it will be said no more. Here's what the proverb was. The, children eat so- the fathers eat sour grapes and their children's teeth are set on edge. In other words, dad does something, kid pays the price. He says this is not going to be said in Israel anymore. The soul who sins will die. I will not punish the son for the sins of the father. I will not punish the father for the sins of the son. Even in the Old Covenant, there was no generational curses. Okay, so just, there is, just look at him. Remember, if the enemy can get you to doubt, he says, if you believe and not doubt, what's he doing? He's doing, oh, you got generational curses. Oh, your grandfather was a mason. Oh, you know, oh, but we went back and we drove, we broke five generations of curses. The enemy will go, what about number six? (laughs) Yeah, if you go back to Adam, you cursed. You messed up. That guy died and you're put into Christ. Listen, were there good people in the multitudes when Jesus was healing? Yeah. Were there bad people in the multitudes? Yeah. And he healed them all regardless of their issues. There was a demoniac running around eating cats and dogs, naked, scraping himself, trying to commit suicide, breaking chains. His issues had issues. <laughs> Remember this guy? Jesus casts out the demons and the, uh, turns it into the Bay of Pigs. <laughs> Deviled ham, that whole story. What did Jesus say? He didn't, he didn't make him go through, a, he gave him the one-step program, darkness, delight, and the one encounter. What's Jesus doing? He's showing you what dad's like. Every single encounter, he's showing you, this is what my dad's like. I mean, I'm talking every person who came to him. Sometimes people, um, they come to a service, let's say there's like a Friday, Saturday, Sunday conference. They come to Friday, on service Friday, they don't get healed, they get prayer. On Saturday, they get prayer again, they don't get healed. They come on Sunday and they get healed. God didn't change his mind, they did. God's will is yes 
and amen. All his promises are yes and amen. But Jim, it doesn't feel real. Well, that's called a doubt. Let's pull that weed out of there so you can just have mustard seed faith. Where is that faith going to come from? Looking at Jesus. Remember, there's a gift of faith, but all faith is a gift, and it comes from fixing our eyes on him. When I see him, it's like, yeah, I know exactly what he would do. He's amazing. Feed yourself on these stories of the Gospels and just get the heart of God because every time he does something from, there's a woman caught in adultery and Jesus goes, and I'm not sure what he wrote in the sand. I typically just believe whatever the last pastor said. He's like, oh, he's writing the names of the, of the adulterous man. I'm like, oh, yeah, that's good. Yes. I have no idea what he's writing. But whatever he was writing released such an atmosphere of grace that religion ran from it. What's he doing there? He's having a father-daughter moment. What do dads do? They go and they step in and they protect their daughters and they cover them. What's he doing? He's showing you what dad's like. All these stories are just, I'm only doing what I see dad doing. Jesus perfectly reveals the father. Listen to this passage from John 1.18 from the Amplified. I want you to listen to it, but then I'm going to substitute the pronouns of the him and the, and the he's for Jesus. Jesus. You guys ready for this? Here, here it is just regularly. No man has ever seen God at any time. The only unique son or the only begotten God who is in the bosom in the intimate presence of the Father, he has declared him. He has revealed him and brought him out where he can be seen. He has interpreted him. He has made him known. Okay, I'm going to switch the pronouns. Let this wash over you. You guys ready for this? Jesus Christ has declared the Father. Jesus Christ has revealed the Father. He has brought the Father out where the Father can be seen. Jesus Christ has interpreted the Father. And Jesus Christ has made the Father known. I'll tell you what, gang. Jesus Christ is the best-kept secret in the American church, and I bet you he's the best-kept secret in the Canadian church, too. We're looking for a new anointing, a new healing mantle, a fresh move. Uh, 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 guys, it is finished. He didn't say, whew, I'm finished with these people. Beam me up, Scotty. Okay, that was a Star Trek reference. I don't know. You have Star Trek in Canada. It's, a, it's like this whole foreign mystery. I don't even know what you guys have. Why do you think the experience of the disciples was so supernatural? Have you ever wondered that? Like, man, these guys were killing it. And, uh, okay, killing it means they were doing really good. It's like, it's this language barrier, Ricky. I'm struggling here. I'm struggling. All right. Um, why? Because they, they got their theology from watching Jesus. It's that they're watching him. He's healing every single person. So they come to an epileptic boy. The, this, the disciples lay their hands on him, and it doesn't work. And they didn't go, up, must not be God's will. Next. They didn't say that. They're like, why didn't this work? Why were they so perplexed? Because Jesus had done it every single time. So they, Jesus comes back, remember, and he, um, he's like, what's going on here? And the, uh, the, disciple, the guy's like, um, oh, my son's got a demon. He's throwing him in the fire. And your disciples couldn't get him out. And I'm expecting Jesus to go, hey, my guys are kind of new at this. It's okay. Shaba, you know, or, or in my name, you know. <laughs> and uh, that's not what Jesus does. Jesus says, um, oh, wicked and perverse generation, how long am I going to put up with you? <laughs> That's like a spanking. What's going on here? He expected them to know. What happened, if you've ever seen, and he says this kind comes out by prayer and fasting. Um, it's not this kind of demon. The whole focus of that passage is unbelief of the disciples. 
what what happens is if you've ever seen an epileptic seizure, it's kind of it's it's kind of graphic to see. It it kind of takes your heart back. And so they were acting in this natural unbelief. It's interesting. Jesus neither prayed nor fasted. He just delivered the guy because he lived a lifestyle of it. Fasting changes you. It doesn't change God. A lot of people are using fasting as a work to pray open God's hand. Well, I'm not getting the answer, so I'm going to fast until I get the answer. That's called a hunger strike. A lot of people think God's up there all grumpy and everything, and, uh, and uh, the, the, your grumbling stomach is his favorite song. <laughs> I'm up here ruling the universe, grumble, 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 whoa, whoa. Is that Pastor David? I had planned on giving him jack squat. I was going to give him nothing, but if he fasts for another three days, he's, twist, he's twisting my arm. I've got no choice. I'm going to have to answer. That's what a lot of people think fasting is. is God's up there wanting to do nothing, but now he's got to, oh, fine. He fasted. (laughs) Am I telling the truth or am I telling the truth? (laughs) Fasting is awesome because it changes me. It narrows my focus. It's a a walking illustration that, God, I'm more hungry for your world than than I am for yours. I don't live by bread alone, but every word that proceeds out of your mouth. So, God, I'm seeing how dependent I am on food. And I'm feeling weak. God, I'm, this is just showing me, God, I didn't even realize I was just dependent on you. Oh, Lord, help me. And I just turn those hunger pains into prayers. Lord, I'm more hungry for your world than this one. So, you know, you know what I'm saying? It's changing me. Prayer changes me. It doesn't change God. You have to understand, like, he's not hot and cold. He's like, uh, uh, you know, I'm a little bit mad at you. You're, you're, you're not doing my will. And then they're fasting. Oh. You're so sweet. I love you. God is love. He doesn't increase when you do good and decrease when you do bad. It's always on full blast. He is love. He doesn't fall into love based on the loveliness of you. When I met my wife, I wasn't walking around with unconditional love looking for a target that I could pour my life into. She was hot. She laughed at my jokes and liked karate movies. I was like, will you marry me? <laughs> Human love is, is, is elicited from the loveliness of the object. And we transfer that on to God and thinking we've got to do things to make God love us. He loves us. Now, there's an intimate relationship that can be built as we're sharing our heart with him and he's sharing, you know, that's a closeness, but that doesn't affect his love. He loves the apostle as much as he loves the terrorist. He loved one terrorist so well, he accepted his love, he became the apostle Paul. I remember uh, one time Mary and I were, were praying for somebody for healing, and someone comes up and, uh, you know, with the spooky prophet eyes. And he's like, the reason this person isn't healed is because there's disunity in their marriage. And then walked off. I was like, what the heck is that? So, okay, let's evaluate that. Okay, so first of all, what did this person do? This person sowed a doubt into the whole thing because now there's a new obstacle that we have to overcome. Did Jesus anywhere in his ministry um, say that disunity in marriage was a reason that someone couldn't get healed? No. You guys, listen, we have to get our theology from Jesus. They came to him regardless of their issues, and they got healed, period. 
because healing is his idea. And he's coming and showing, this is what my dad's like. My kingdom's coming to earth and is pushing out all this darkness on earth as it is in heaven. Is there any sickness in heaven? What's his will? Healing, wholeness. No socialized medicine in heaven. There's no need for it. Well, we're moving now. This is good. 9, 10, 11. Thank you, Jesus. Do I hear an amen? Like, how many were there? So we had this guy at our church. Uh, he uh, worked in an armored truck. And so, like, you know, they carried money. And so in order to renew his license for that, they had a test on a shotgun. So he had totally, like, uh, wrecked his shoulder. He had a broken collarbone. So we prayed for him. Um, the pain went away. On his way driving home, the bones, because it was deformed, he hated it. And it snapped back into place on the way home. So we named him Collarbone Chris. So Collarbone Chris is working in this truck with this other guy who's a Hindu, and the truck breaks down. So there's like this wall behind, between them and, and the truck. They don't normally get to talk a bunch, but now that it, the, the truck had broke down, they're kind of you know, out of the truck. And so the Hindu guy is like, listen, you know, I'm, I'm going to be moving to India. I've got all these blood issues, and my wife's got all these allergies. They just had a whole bunch of problems. And so they're like, we're moving to India. There's some Hindu healer. And the guy's like, you should come to our church. He's like, you'll get healed. And so he's like, really? So we had a newcomer's dessert that night. And so, you know, just new people come in. And so we're getting some testimony. It was just weird. That newcomer's dessert, people are like, well, I got healed, and that's why I'm here. And so there's a bunch of healing testimonies. And so when we went and prayed for the Hindu guy, um, sometimes when you have like a blood disorder, God will do like a whole body cleanse. It's like their whole blood is, it's like their whole body is like on fire, like from the inside out. And so it's like kind of doing a whole body cleanse. So all of his symptoms leave. He's completely healed. His wife, the allergies come off her. She's healed. Let me ask you, were these guys believers? No. Notice I didn't ask you if they were Christians. What'd they do? They heard good news that Jesus could heal. He had healed collarbone Chris. And so they came to this Jesus and they heard more good news and they said, we'll take some of that, and they expected some help, and they got healed. Jesus is so good that he doesn't make you jump through hoops or join his family in order to receive his benefits. It's so easy a three-year-old can say, yes, I'll take that. I mean, here, I, mean I remember uh, someone posted on Facebook, um, this little girl, she prayed a prayer for uh, someone at a soccer game. Jesus heals boo-boos, and the person's ankle got healed. That's pretty good theology, gang. Jesus is like, hey, if you if you want to if you want to um, boil this thing down, I got a real simple test for you. If you want to know God's will, if you fathers, though you being evil, in other words, you got issues, um, you still know how to give nothing but good gifts to your children. How much more your Father in heaven delights to give good gifts, guys? If you would not give your kids sickness. This is what the Bible says. Just compare. The Father will not give you sickness. Somehow, Jesus and the devil have switched job descriptions. Well, it's, uh, it's um, the devil is doing those lying signs and wonders, and it's Jesus who's making you sick. Like, what in the world is happening here? Steal, kill, and destroy is someone else's job description. Life, still kill and destroy. Cancer, devil. Mental problems, devil. When they go away, Jesus. Guys, there's no pressure on this thing. You understand, like, 
Receiving is not like, I got to be good enough. Oh, I got to try. It's just surrender. Give up. I can't take it anymore. You love me so much. Here you go. I had a severe uh, gluten allergy. It was an autoimmune disorder. I had it for 15 years. If I would eat gluten, I would get blisters. I ate a bunch of donuts right before here. Yeah. You know what? Those donuts are actually a faith statement. Thank you. Yeah. That's right. <laughs> and so, uh, yeah, I'd get blisters all over my body. It was just horrible. And, um, and I was in a service where they were teaching on the love of God. And something, I mean, I teach on it a lot. And something had gotten hold of me. And it was literally like, I can't take it anymore. I can't hold on to this thing. It was like, it was like I loved the thing right out of me. And I was like, so I actually called out a word of knowledge for Crohn's disease, which is not what I had. And I was like, close enough. <laughs> I'm like, I'll take it. Listen, we're probably going to do words of knowledge in here. If it's close, take it. Why? Because he paid for the whole thing. You're like, bad toe. I'm deaf in my ear. I'll take it. I'm being serious. Words of knowledge are not a declaration of God's will. They're, they're, it's a way for him to highlight something to build faith in the room. You know what his will is? It will not dim the lights of heaven to heal every stinking person in this room. There is no reason for anyone to go home sick. Jesus paid for this whole thing. He's just waiting to find a people weak enough that he can work through. God hasn't had anybody qualified working for him yet, and you and I will not be the first. He only he uses ordinary people to do extraordinary things, and the way we get there is by going, I need you. It's like, oh, yeah, yeah, I can use that person. When you start thinking you're getting good at healing, you're getting good at the ministry, you're getting good at hearing God, you're headed for depression, pal. I'm serious. That's called self-righteousness. You're going to be depressed in about a week. That doesn't work. Who's in charge of the healing? You are. But there's no pressure. But you being in charge of healing looks like you're going, I need your help, Jesus. It's like, oh, that's called faith. What if this thing was way easier than we thought? 14, 15... You know, it's interesting. I'm, 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 this Canadian time's faster than American time here. It's weird. This metric, this is, this is a metric system is what it is. <laughs> Jesus never said you got to throw out your medication to prove you have faith. He said, go show yourself to the doctor. Go show yourself to the priest. They'll be able to confirm it. He never said you got to break generational curses. He never said, we need to find the root cause of this sickness. I need to understand your past so I know how to pray in your present. No, I just said, come here. In the name of Jesus, be healed. Um, some people create a noble cause. Jim, if I'm healed, then my kids will know Jesus is real. And it'll be a testimony. What did Jesus say? Hey, don't, don't, don't tell anybody. Why do you say that? This person, I, there's lots of reasons why he said that. You need to understand that he's not looking to use your healing as his PR. He's looking to use your healing because he loves you. Because this is what dads do is they kiss boo-boos and make them better. You don't need a noble cause. I have not yet seen one person healed who had a noble cause. They had to make that switch and say, he'd do it for me because he loves me. All my unworthiness, he doesn't even look at that. He loves me. That's, that's what he does. 
He never made people renounce the occult, never made them forgive somebody, never made them confess sin, never made them tithe, never made them attend church faithfully, never made sure they were submitted to authority, never made sure they fasted for a certain period of time. I'm not saying those aren't good things. I'm saying those aren't hoops you have to jump through. Like, oh, I'm, I've, I've only been giving tithe in the net and not the gross. And, you know. <laughs> that would probably be a great marketing campaign. Yeah, like, <laughs> we're the dark church of the discounted tithe. Oh, I'm going to go there. <laughs> All right, I'm going to close out with a story or two. So um, I had this neighbor named Kurt, and Kurt, this is kind of back, I'm coming out of my Pharisee days. I used to love to debate people, and it was just, I mean, thank you, Jesus, for my wife. She, I call her steel wrapped in velvet. She's tough and sweet, but tough and feisty. And so, um, so my neighbor, so I'm going through my Pharisee days, but I'm really starting to go after healing. So my neighbor, Kurt, works for this organization, and uh, he got this ear infection that was so bad he couldn't hear out of this ear. And so he's kind of got his, uh, his back to the door, and this girl comes in, she starts talking to him, and he can't hear because of his ear. And finally he realizes something. She's like, what's wrong? Oh, she's an atheist, by the way. And so <clears throat> Kurt's like, oh, I'm sorry I got this ear infection. She says, oh, well, why don't you pray to your God and have him heal you? I'm like, man, she's throwing down the gauntlet right there in the workplace. This is awesome. And so, uh, so Kurt comes home, and he's like, Jim, I know you've been going after healing. And so, you know, she threw down the gauntlet. You know, I need to get healed. And I said, Kurt, I'm just, I'm just going to tell you how it happened. I said, Kurt, I have not prayed enough today. I need to fast. I need to spend some time meditating on the scriptures tomorrow. And then when I get home, we will pray. Where's all the focus on what I need to do? Okay. So I'm just going to tell you the honest to God truth, what happened. I wake up the next morning, forgot about Kurt, ate breakfast. <clears throat> forgot about fasting. No, this is the honest to God truth. I had two lunch appointments that day, ate lunch in both appointments. This is the truth. Ate dessert in the second appointment. I'm on my way home from work, and um, uh, I, I pull in the driveway, and I see Kurt's face beaming at the end of the driveway, and I said a bad word. I said, I prayed this prayer to God. Oh, crap. <laughs> so I get out of the car. My shoulders are slumped. I said, Kurt, I am so sorry. I did not pray enough. He's like, oh, that's okay. Let's just pray anyway. And so I'm thinking, I already know what's going to happen. Nothing. In the name of Jesus, nothing happens. In the name of Jesus, nothing happens. And so now I'm starting to get hungry for dinner. You know, I'd, it'd been about two hours since my last meal, you know, and so I'm starting to make up those excuses. Oh, God's ways are higher than our ways. Who can know? You know, all this, all this stuff people say that have never read the Bible. And, uh, and so as I'm getting ready to give my excuse, I hear the Lord say, am I going to heal him because you're good or because I'm good? And I don't know how to say it. It felt like someone flicked me in the nose. It was like, oh, my word. Like, like the fog lifted. I'm like, what am I doing? And I said, Kirk, can we try it one more time? We prayed. There was a loud pop. All the infection ran out of his ear. Yes. See, Mary and I, my wife and I, we give kids a certain amount of money for the report cards. You know, uh, if they get A's, they get rewarded. And uh, if they get bad grades, they get nothing. And so um, they got to pay us. And so... Um, we only did that one time, but it was awesome. <laughs> Here's what happens is we, take our, we think that we have to take our report cards to God so that he'll reward us based on our grades. Okay? 
That's how a lot of people are doing it. Here's how you actually do it. Is you, you're taking a report card, but you're taking Jesus' report card to the Father. And he's rewarding you based on Jesus' behavior. And he got all A's, even the advanced placement classes. So I want you to think about this. In the Old Testament, when somebody sinned, they brought a lamb to the priest. And the priest inspected the lamb to see if that lamb was worthy. And then it would sacrifice and would cover the person. I want you to get this. The priest always inspected the lamb. He never inspected the person. When you come before the Father, he is not looking at you to see if you are worthy to receive the answer. He's looking at the lamb to see if he was worthy. And he says, yes. It's just good news, gang. 18. Do I tell the golf story? Do I just... All right, we'll close with the golf story. I was pre-med in college, and in order to get into med school, you need a recommendation letter from a doctor. And so my lab partner... Uh, his dad was a doctor, and so the, his dad said, yeah, I'll give him a recommendation letter, but I like to play golf with him first. Well, anyone who's ever seen me play golf has never accused me of being a golfer. And so, so we go to the Beverly Hills Country Club in downtown Detroit. It's a very rich, elite kind of club. And so I'd never been to a nice club before, but in nice clubs, you can't wear tennis shoes on the golf course. you got to wear golf spikes. So I didn't have any. And so uh, I'm just going to call him Dr. Smith. Dr. Smith's like, Where, where's your golf shoes? I'm like, well, I don't have any. Just go in the locker room and take somebody's golf shoes. I'm like, oh, my word, this is... I'll let me know if you're allowed to do this. And so I put him on. And so I'd never ridden in a golf cart before. Me and my friends, we, I'd only probably golfed five times in my life. And we'd always carry our own clubs to save money. And so I kind of hooked the clubs in wrong. And so when the golf cart takes off, my clubs go flying out of the back. And Dr. Smith's looking at his son like, what is your problem? And so we get to the first tee. It's me, Dr. Smith, his son, my lab partner, and this guy who's legally blind, who can only see from his head to his toes, who's going to have the game of his life that day as it takes off. So the first tee looks like this. So we're getting ready to tee off. And so if you know anything about golf, there's like the pro tees, which is the farthest from the hole, the intermediate tees, kind of medium, and then you got like the ladies tees, the closest. So we're going to golf from the pro tees and picture this half moon of people, like 180 degree of people sitting out there um, eating tea and crumpets with their pinkies out, okay? So they're all, they're all you know, highfalutin society. They're going to watch us tee off. And so you know, the first three guys hit it straight down their fairway, the oohs and the ahs. So I get up there. I'm the fourth guy. I'm just going to tell you how it happened. So first swing, whoo, swing and a miss. I'm like, come on. Like, receive my spirit right now. Like, just take me. The second shot does a 180-degree slice, and it goes the direction my toes are pointing and almost takes out a lady in her tee. Not kidding. <laughs> I'm like, oh, my word. <laughs> Dr. Lorenz says, um, just take a mulligan. I'm like, mulligan, wasn't that guy with Skipper who tried to escape the island out of the boat? But whatever. So my next shot, um, so I get a little do-over. So I do it, and it hits like a, a topspin ping-pong ball. There was like some earthworms that it peeked out. It just shims right across the grass, takes off their heads, doesn't even make it past the ladies' tees. Like, I'm not even on the fairway. So Dr. Smith's like, just hit with us. I'm like, oh, my gosh, I hate this. And so um, I had brought a lot of golf balls. By the time we got to hole 13, I had lost all of my golf balls. And I'm now borrowing golf balls from Dr. Smith. Humiliating, okay? So hole 13 was a hole that Arnold Palmer, one of the great golfers uh, of our time, he uh, got a 12 on this hole. It was so difficult. So I'm hacking up this course. It's just narrow fairways. I'm losing all the balls. I finally make it up. Uh, there's... Um, 
I'm close to the hole, and there's gotta, I'm going to have to do something called a chip shot. So there's kind of this, this hill, and it leads right to the green, the hole. And um, the blind guy, he didn't know how steep the hill was. So he tried to, like, walk up it, and he ends up rolling down the hill. <laughs> and so, like, the whole time I'm hearing these taunts, Baker's getting beat by the blind guy. I'm like, oh, gosh. So we're on hole 13. So on hole 13, I'm going to do something called a chip shot. So you just, you know, gently pull the club back. You make contact with it, follow through. It does a nice little lob, rolls right towards the What could go wrong, right? I mean, it just sounds so easy. So here's what happened. So I pull it back, and it goes chip, chip. I didn't follow through fast enough, so I actually made contact with it a second time. <laughs> Honestly, guy, truth. Flung the ball backwards about 25 yards. <laughs> Which, distance-wise, was actually one of my better shots of the day, unfortunately. <laughs> Dr. Smith says something interesting. He says, Baker, you add 10 strokes to my game just being around you. <laughs> That's what he says. Here's something interesting. Dr. Smith wrote me a glowing recommendation. Do you want to know why? The father's approval of me had nothing to do with my performance, but everything to do with my relationship with his son. How we doing? Guys, you receiving anything from God is not because of your amazing performance. It's because of Jesus' amazing performance. It's your relationship with his son. You receive everything by grace through faith. That's how every blessing comes. By grace means Jesus did it all before you were ever born, before you were ever good, before you ever fasted, before you ever prayed, before you ever confessed sin. He did it all for you so that you woke up into this new world Receiving an inheritance of a blessing, and you only receive it by saying, yeah, I'll take that. And so I'd like to invite you to partake of the covenant right now of healing by simply looking at Jesus and saying, yeah, I'll take that. So do you guys have some words of knowledge or, or not? Did David tell you to do that? All right, I got a word of knowledge for you. If you're sick, Jesus wants to heal you. I'm not kidding. I'm not kidding. He... He was so serious about it, he shed his blood and made a blood covenant so you'd know that it was an unbreakable oath. His covenants are interesting. There was a couple different ways they could do covenants. Some of them were two-way, like you do this for me and I'll do this for you. He's making a covenant with a, ooh, wow, it just got real. <laughs> we need some of this in Ohio, man. Is that a Canadian song? It's interesting. God's getting ready to make a covenant with man. And so, um, so he has Abraham do, you know, he cuts, up, he cuts up animals, arranges the pieces opposite each other. And what would normally happen is a, a greater king and a lesser king, uh, they, would make, they would hold hands and they would walk through the blood path. And so um, it's interesting. Instead, God causes Abraham to follow into a deep sleep. God comes down in the form of this smoking thing. And uh, I was going to say smoking pot, but it just sounds different when you say it in, in today's America. So anyway, so God comes down as this flaming, torchy, smoky thing. God himself passes between the pieces. Abraham does not. So here's the covenant. So here's what a covenant was. Is if, anyone, if I break this covenant, may the same fate that happened to these animals happen to me, that they'd be torn apart. Okay. So what happens? God passes between the um, pieces. He's the one who makes all the promises. I will do this. I will do this. I will do this. That's the new covenant, right? So here's the symbolism. If someone breaks the covenant, us, God himself will be torn to pieces to restore the covenant. 
What happened at the cross, gang? We blew it. The whole world did. And God's like, I'm going to keep my covenant. I'm the one who passed between those pieces. I'm going to come down there. I'm going to restore. I'm going to keep all the promises. Guys, it's an unbreakable bond. A covenant cannot be broken. And he's saying, this is my covenant. Saved, healed, delivered, prospered, and protected. And so today, let's just focus on the healing part. So if, you're, if you need healing in your body, if you're able to stand up, stand up. Dave, you want to come up here with me? I don't know if you got anything. This is, uh, this is uh, my friend David Jonas. He's actually uh, a mentor and a father in our life, even though, um, even though he looks much younger than me. About a year. And so um, he's, he's, just, uh, he's, a, he's a good friend. Uh, in, in our church government, he's actually one of the apostolic fathers of our house. And so he's, he's, he means so much. He's, he's, he's been a great, is a great friend to us. And so uh, him and I are going to be ministering. He's going to be ministering tonight. David is a way better speaker than me, way, way more anointed. He really is. So just come back tonight. But um, did I say it right? Yes. Because he's, he, he's my ride home. So, and apparently David's going to be doing the story of Joseph, the coat of many colors tonight. So it's a, it's a real visual illustration tonight. Guys, what if healing's way easier than you thought? What if it really is all about Jesus and not all about you? What if he's going to heal you based on, uh, not because of your great performance, but because of your relationship with his son? Before we do this, is there anyone in here, you do not know Jesus as your savior? The, the good news of salvation is this, is that you can trust Jesus now. And of course, you'll be in heaven when you die. But he wants to, when you trust him, he will come into every area of your life that you will let him. The good news is you don't have to live in your own strength for your family, for your finances. The good news is that his presence and power can invade every situation if, if you let him. You actually get to learn from him how to be like him. If you're like, I want as much of Jesus in my life as possible. I want to become a follower of him. I want to learn from him. I'm going to turn from just doing it on my own, and I want to follow him. If you're here today and you're like, I, I'm not, you do not know Jesus. You are not following him. Uh, just go ahead and raise your hand. I want to pray for you. Let's just get that taken care of. Is there anybody in here? Like, I want, to, I want to trust Jesus today. I want to follow him. Anybody? Just want to make sure. Thank you for that hand. I appreciate that. Anybody else? Trust Jesus. All right. Lord, we just thank you for your goodness. And now, Lord, for anyone in here who didn't raise their hand, we just say, Lord, we trust you. God, we can count on you that what you say is true. You said if we confess you before men, you'd confess us before the Father. And so if you're in here, just say, Lord, forgive me. <laughs> uh, I want as much of you in my life as possible. What I see, I love, and I want more. Come into every area of my life. Lead every area of my life. Amen. All right, here's how we're going to do this. Um, uh, here's what I saw. I forgot. When I was praying, I saw this. I saw um, our team anointing people with oil. And so if you need prayer, come down front and line up in rows. And I want to explain to you what the oil is, okay, because it's actually really powerful. So if you need prayer, just make two, like two rows here, down front like an army. And uh, you guys, um, we have some essential oils, which I think those can work. And so... If you don't like the flavor of the oil, it's about Jesus, all right? So, David, you want to say something before I explain the oil? Okay. And so if we could get the team ready, get them some uh, bottles of oil. 
So here's what it says in James chapter 5. This is a new covenant passage, okay? You're like, hold on, you're just going to smear some oil on my head and I'm supposed to be healed? Please listen up here, okay? In the Bible, uh, there's something that we've labeled a prophetic act. In other words, you do something in the physical under the command of God and it actually releases spiritual power. You dunk somebody in the water and it says it actually, there's a cutting away of the sin nature and the old man dies. Like, hold on, there's water. Remember, there's a leper who dipped seven times in the water and his leprosy was gone. You guys remember that story of Naaman? Okay, here's what the Bible says. It says, um, if there's any sick among you, let them call for the elders of the church. It said, let them be anointed with oil and their prayer offered in faith will make the sick person well. Don't anoint anybody yet. Let me, let me, I want them to do it with understanding here. Okay, I want you to get this. The, the, the power of it is not in the oil. It's in the prayer offered in faith making the sick person well. I've seen some people, it's like, I've got oil from Jerusalem. Ooh. Like, oh, it's got to be. No, no, no. It's, it's not more powerful. I mean, it's cool. I mean, whatever. But um, it's the prayer offered in faith that makes you well. So here's what I want you I want you to prepare your hearts because, listen, we're not making this up. We're not doing something religious. The Bible, the Bible says, if you anoint them with oil, the prayer of faith will make the sick person well. And so I've actually never done this in a service before, but just during worship, I had a flash, and I thought, man, if, if this is God, this sounds like something he'd do. <laughs> have us obey his word and have it be this easy. So I want you to just take a moment, and you're going to believe before you receive. You're not going to go, oil, and hey, it didn't really, no, 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 no. You're already believing, and this oil is just simply, in the Old Testament, it was a symbol of the Holy Spirit setting something aside. They would, they, would, they would anoint things with oil in the scripture. They would anoint the sick. It was it's like you are being set aside for the Holy Spirit to touch. And so when that oil comes on you, just it's, what's going to happen is because as a prophetic act, the Holy Spirit is going to come upon your body and you're going to be healed. Well, what if I don't feel anything? Don't worry about feeling anything. Okay? But I do want you to begin. If you're able to check something out, check it out. Receive it. Drink it in. And when you're ready, just you, sometimes just take a little walk. Remember that as they went, we've seen people, it doesn't have to be something noble, stomping your foot if you've got a bad ankle. Just, just begin to check it out. It may be like, be in, we've seen it increase as you leave. So just take a moment and just say this after me. This healing belongs to me because of what Jesus has done. Why are we saying this? It's because we're believing before we receive. You're recognizing him as healer before you receive your healing. You see what I'm, what I'm saying? Say it again. This healing belongs to me. Because of what Jesus has done. Our teams are going to come in one moment. I'm going to speak this like an arrow to your heart. God will not withhold healing from you because you're bad. He will not heal you because you're good. <laughs> He's going to heal you because of what Jesus has done. He only heals, unqual- only, only heals people who don't deserve it. And so that's why you're standing here, because, uh, because of him. So team, if you could go and just whatever you feel led to pray, don't make it long. Because it's not in the prayer. It's actually in the prophetic act today. And so, so here's what I like. You just make a cross on their forehead or however, however you want to do it. So just whatever you feel, just do it. Uh, I just saw you guys doing it and it working. So believe and then receive. So right now, Jesus, you are my healer. <laughs> I look at you. I receive it. You're good. All those excuses are melting away because he's just too good. You can't take it anymore.